Hi, my name's Harini. My name's Camille. My name's Calvina. And this is The News Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be interviewing one of our own, Camille, on endometriosis and medical misogyny, because a lot of women are excluded from medical research. It's largely male dominated, and it means that a lot of diseases and conditions specific to women are underplayed, unacknowledged or misdiagnosed. So a question for you, Camille, what is it like living with endometriosis? Living with endometriosis is difficult in a word because it's kind of a constant uphill battle a because there's always different side effects and symptoms that different people have and different people don't so I don't always realize what is down the path of dealing with endometriosis because there's kind of a new one every year it kind of sometimes it gets worse sometimes it's better and it's hard to fix there isn't a solution to endometriosis all you can do is take medications or anything to reduce the symptoms So it's kind of like having a constant headache and all you can do is take paracetamol rather than actually getting rid of the headache, which is not great. Obviously, even if you have surgery to get excess blood removed, which is what endometriosis is, if I just maybe start by explaining that, when you have endometriosis, it's because the lining of your uterus, which is called the endometrium or the endometrial lining, grows on the outside of your uterus as well as the inside, which means that every time that you have a period, so when your hormones make that lining of your uterus shed and it comes out in blood the same is happening on the outside of your uterus and therefore into your abdomen which unsurprisingly given that it's very similar to having internal bleeding is not good and has loads of complications and that's why it's so painful and can have different implications on your body which is why it's different for every patient which is another thing of living with endometriosis that genuinely even though you can relate to other people everyone's journey with it will be completely different because some people it will be on their bladder and that will affect They'll have like sharp pain when they pass urine, when they go to the toilet or anything like that. Other people, it will give them extremely painful sex because it'll be going down towards their cervix and their vagina. Other people will affect their stomach. It'll make them sick and make them vomit because it's on the lining of their stomach instead. Uh, You can have either intestine and therefore, or your kidneys even. So it can become quite dangerous because you can often, it's very often misdiagnosed because it almost masquerades as other illnesses, which is not to pardon all of the times that it is misdiagnosed because many times women will go to doctors as I did with all of the symptoms and it's just constantly kind of gaslit into thinking that it's something that it's not how have you how have you learned to deal with it I guess because I can't even begin to imagine that doesn't sound nice at all. <laughs> um there's lots of different things that you kind of have to add up so the biggest medication against the symptoms is to stop having a period therefore for example being on a pill but then that also has side effects. So then you take other things to stop the side effects from that. Or you can have obviously the same thing as you would have for any period, things like a hot water bottle, paracetamol. There's a specific painkiller that's often prescribed to women with painful periods, which I take called methanamic acid, which is like a heavy duty painkiller, which you can't take with ibuprofen. Not that I'm giving medical advice, but I wasn't actually told that when I was prescribed methanamic acid. So for like a year, I was actually taking it in conjunction with ibuprofen when I wasn't meant to be. So I think, to be honest, that's one of the things that highlights the lack of information that you're given. Even once you've finally been diagnosed with endometriosis, there's always information missing that you find out along the way. So I'm sure if we do this interview again in a couple of years, I'd give you other tips on on dealing with it that I haven't yet come across. 
but yeah, just finding a position where the pain stops hurting. You can also get TENS machines, which are now quite, you can get them quite portable. They're ex- quite expensive, but they are still over the counter. They're about 80 quid. So it's not great, but it's, <laughs> it exists that you can then take, carry around with you and keep kind of like in your jeans in the front of your trousers. And that can help with the pain as well. No, and like you said before, I guess it's hard if everyone's got different symptoms and everyone experiences endometriosis di- like differently. Yeah. How do you get advice from other girls who have it yeah. in terms of how they deal with it? Because you've got to come up with your own way, I guess. And um, quite shockingly, endo affects 10% of women globally. But of course, this statistic is just those who have been diagnosed. And it's just according to one study. And other studies say it's up to 20 or even more. Considering such a large amount of women suffer from it and an even larger amount have suffered and not even been diagnosed with it, what from your personal experience would you say is the hardest thing about living with endo? As in from the lack of research? Yes. Um, I think definitely the hardest thing was being diagnosed with it because Mm. it takes a long time. Everyone has a different story of how badly it went wrong. For me, the reason that I was diagnosed with endometriosis was a week in hospital after which my appendix was removed, even though I never had appendicitis because of all of the doctors that I was seeing day in, day out, all the tests that I had. And every time that I told them I thought it was endometriosis because I had all the symptoms, none of them believed me, like not one of the people going in. So out of sheer desperation, I said it on the way into the surgical ward, literally like seconds before having an oxygen mask because I was so scared that they were going to do the wrong surgery. And then they did. But having taken out my appendix, they realized that I actually had been right the whole time and that there was also blood where it wasn't meant to be, which suggested that it had to be endometriosis. So I think that is definitely the hardest part of the journey for a lot of people. And it certainly was for me. Um, I mean, I mentioned earlier having a lot of pain. It genuinely does sometimes knock you breathless. I remember my mum realizing that something was definitely wrong when I was probably about 14 and she had come up and I was like doubled over on the landing unable to breathe unable to walk and that can happen quite regularly it used to happen to me multiple times a day there was also I would go jogging and just be hit with so much pain that I would collapse in the street and like my legs would just stop working and I had to call my dad and be like "Uh can you pick me up I'm you know behind someone's bin on the pavement (laughs) like I can't get out of the way I hope a car doesn't come um, so yes, yeah, so I think there's definitely not being diagnosed with it. It's a million times worse than once you're actually diagnosed with it, even though that's not particularly easy either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, not being believed because then you're telling someone something over and over and over again, and you know that you're right because often, and I understand from the doctor's point of view, there are so many people who you know Google symptoms, freak themselves out, and then not believe them when the doctor tells them that that's not what it is. I get it. But when the amount of women coming to you with something that statistically, as you say, affects so many more women that are being diagnosed with it and they tell you they have all of the symptoms, like every single box is checked. They've had this for years. It's not going away. And the reaction is just to shrug their shoulders and be like, no, you're a teenager. It's probably, for example, appendicitis. It's like it's, it's, it feels like you're being gaslit over and over again, which doesn't feel good. And I think that's the worst bit of the lack of medical attention. Yeah, I don't think it should ever come from the patient the doctor's supposed to do the diagnosis not the other way around yeah it got to the point I remember when I was in hospital being diagnosed with it that I was so sick of having to explain it so many times a day to all these doctors none of you were listening to me that I tried to write it down 
And so I literally remember by the time they came in, I had like, I, I didn't have a paper or anything. So I was literally writing it on like a roll of toilet paper because being in COVID, my parents couldn't visit me and bring me things. So I just had this roll of loo roll that I was like writing all my symptoms down on with a pen that I'd like borrowed from one of the, the cleaners at night. And then every time they come in, I'd have to like read off my toilet roll because I was explaining it so many times and getting the same reaction every single time. So I'd write down like, I knew the questions they were going to ask me. I knew the reactions they were going to have, like the back of my hand by the time that I left. Yeah, you just know the process was long when you say that. I guess, how did you self-diagnose yourself? Like, how did you know it was endometriosis? Because I'm sure there's a lot of girls out there who experience painful cramps and all those symptoms and they're just not, they're being told by their doctors that it's not endometriosis, but they don't themselves know to, I guess, chase up and even though it's a really long process, but go through it. Well, I think... First of all, I would say there are societies and charities that are specifically dedicated to it. And obviously the NHS website is a great place to look for symptoms because it's, you know, it's real. It's not written by like a fake on the internet. But there's lots of charities that are specifically dedicated to spreading awareness for endometriosis. So first and foremost, I would say if you're going to Google it, Google it through that. One of them is Endometriosis UK. And they actually have like a form that has all the things that you can take with you to your GP. So I think, you know, I don't want to give the wrong information. So I'd recommend that as a first port of call. Muscle pain sometimes, because if it, like it did me, was affecting the nerve receptors at the bottom of my spine, which meant that I would get like shooting pains in my legs or my arms or my shoulders. Something that's completely random. But because there's, there's blood where there's nowhere to be, which is never going to be a positive thing for your body. So if you're having these kinds of symptoms I would continue to, to research it especially through charities so you know you're getting the right information and back to the whole diagnosis thing what do you think kind of needs to change about the process because obviously it's so I guess that's so painful like emotionally and physically because you have to deal with it for so long but what do you think kind of needs to change I mean not just in terms of you not being gaslit and actually being diagnosed but I guess in regard to medical misogyny overall like in a broader perspective I mean, to be honest, apart from being gaslit, it's quite difficult to think of anything else because that's just the biggest thing. Like actually listen to women patients when they come to you, listening to, to female patients who tell you these facts about their bodies would definitely be point one because that definitely came across as the thing that was lacking. Because <sighs> the thing is, I've, I've never, having never studied medicine, I don't know how it's taught. I don't know if there is any emphasis on endometriosis or if it's a big part of the course if it's not part of the course but I do know obviously the massive lack of funding the lack of research that goes into it the lack of cure for a start that would have been nice suggests that there, there's a lot of information missing for trainee doctors so I think that that would be point two is actually you know if you're not gonna trust women off the bat which you should point two would be having it in a textbook and like you've said Camille According to this Guardian article, in the UK, less than 2.5% of publicly funded research goes to reproductive health, which is a shockingly small percentage for how many women are affected by gynecological problems and problems to do with their reproductive health. So I think exactly like you said, it's a combination of what you said from your personal experience, like these not so professional professionals, you know, not listening, not really doing exactly what their job is as well as massive lack of research in terms of this structural medical misogyny that there is going on as well and unlike a lot of other diseases which have received a lot of funding and a lot of research and time there remains no definite cure and no known causes for endo so what would you say is the biggest stigma around it and what has caused that stigma uh, I think the biggest stigma for me is quite simple in that it, it affects 
a woman's reproductive organs and I think that's what's caused the stigma it involves a vagina and therefore no one wants to talk about it because it's the same that like even if I wanted to talk about it to people for obviously women I think would be much more understanding but if I wanted to speak about it to a man you immediately have to think about where is the line where am I sharing too much information where am I seeming weird to be talking about these symptoms or to be talking about this kind of thing which is where I'm definitely very very grateful for the men in my family my brother and my dad for never making it awkward and never making it weird never making it seem like I was sharing too much and understandable it's quite a gory topic of conversation but I think that that has definitely led to stigma and awkwardness when women wanting to talk about it and therefore they don't and therefore other women don't know that it's a thing that goes on I mean it's not something that I had ever heard of and so I started researching what the symptoms could be and even then it was only because my mother had seen me and been like no your period shouldn't be like that but if having periods was a conversation that we were so much more open with you know you would notice so much quicker when something's wrong with this same I mean it always I always think back to sex ed and when you know you learn about your period for the first time in biology the amount of women who have either polycystic ovaries or endometriosis or something else that's, that's going to be different about their periods I think it's so overdue that we stop teaching periods as being for three to five days you know you might bleed mm-hmm. a little bit and you might get a little bit of pain because that's just not the experience that most women are having but because we don't talk about it from the beginning and we don't talk about it in between we only start talking about it once something's gone wrong which at that point is sometimes already too late mm-hmm. you know if you lived live years in pain that you shouldn't have lived <laughs> so I think that's another thing is in sex ed and biology it needs to be mentioned so much more than it is to actually reduce that stigma from talking about it in the first place no I 100% agree because you're taught that you're supposed to have cramps so then you think I'm getting cramps this mm. is normal but cramps aren't supposed to be like that. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of like, I'm trying to draw a parallel and I don't know if this is right, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you know when we tell boys to like suck it up or be a man, like girls, that's obviously to do with toxic masculinity and stuff. Girls mm. don't really get told any of that unless it's to do with mm. periods, fertility, mm. motherhood. Like obviously if you're a mother and you're really struggling being a mother, having a child, like all of this, it's always like, oh, mm-hmm. suck it up, like be a better mum. Like... I think it, it's, it links to, I guess, affirming gender roles. Like for men, we're affirming that they're supposed to be strong and masculine. And for women, we're affirming that, I guess, their sole purpose in life is just to reproduce and have babies. No, I completely agree. I think that's really eloquently put. I can, the only difference is that one is seen as, you know, grotesque, essentially, and therefore we don't want to talk about it. And you're so right. If, it's, if it was anything else about a woman being in pain, like the patriarchy would lap that up. I'm sorry, how... Dracula the whole of the gothic period any film ever in which a woman cries like it's all so romanticized the whole of tumblr for a start like there's so much that is romanticized about women either in pain or crying over something or generally stressed but the minute it's actually like you have to answer some questions and it's something that is to do with as you say reproduction which is kind of in many ways seen as a woman's main role unfortunately it's not at all the same thing you're expected to to just sort of deal with it and be like yeah well periods am I right which was again very much the reaction I changed GPs so many times when trying to be diagnosed with endometriosis because so many of them would just be like yeah well periods suck what do you want me to say and that would kind of be the end of the GP appointment it's like hey great that was very helpful so glad you spent eight years in medical school for that is there a difference between how you're diagnosed at a gynecologist versus through like a your GP like the NHS doctors like is there a difference or do the gynecologists who are like I guess specialized professionals do they also like are they responsible for gaslighting as well um that's a really interesting question I think 
you have to be referred to a gynecologist and therefore if your GP doesn't believe you they won't refer you so I was then referred through someone obviously after I'd spent this awful ordeal um, in hospital actually through one of my mum's friends who wasn't even one of the doctors that saw me because she was willing to take me seriously so I think that's step one that would be one difference just on paper in terms of response for me yeah 100 percent. it was like a breath of fresh air um because the minute I walked in I told her my symptoms and by the time I got to the end of the sentence she'd already written down that I had endometriosis had like a whole plan sorted out gave me the medication that I needed 100 percent took me seriously she explained it to me for the first time I'd never had it explained to me properly at all because none of the medical professionals had bothered it wasn't even like you probably don't have endometriosis because it's this blah 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 they had just been like no stop pretending like you know what's going on so yeah I think that for me luckily there was a huge difference a huge difference but I have to preface that with one my gynecologist was a woman so that in itself might make a difference no shade to male gynecologist but uh, it could be and point two um I'm very honored and blessed that the gynecologist is also from a private hospital because I had had such a bad experience with getting it diagnosed under the NHS and again I know that this is a position that I, I feel very privileged and lucky, but because my dad's job comes with uh, health insurance, we were able to do that. But, you know, obviously that's not a situation that most people are in. So I don't want to kind of give false information and be like, yeah, gynecologists are great. They'll all take you seriously because if they're equally as overworked, underpaid, underslept as all of the NHS doctors that I went through to begin with, then, you know, you're likely to have the exact same response. Yeah, I think the information thing is so interesting that you got told right at the end, because I remember going to the GP um, like like ages ago, like because there was something wrong and I had a blood test and they told me I had PCOS and I was like, oh, OK, like I didn't even know what that was. And I searched it up and all I read was polycystic ovary syndrome. And I was like, I have cysts on my ovaries. I'm going to die. And I was mm-hmm. sobbing and crying and I was so upset just because I didn't know what it was. Like, it, it's not I, not to like. um downplay it like obviously it's deep but like and not like that like I did you're not going to die from it I completely completely. agree no I was um, terrified I was going to be infertile when I first got it yeah same I was crying I was like I'm not going to be able to have children I'm going to die if I have children I can't I will yeah I just there were so many things going on and then I remember going back I had another blood test and then they were like oh actually we lied sorry you don't have PCOS but here's (laughs) loads of information they gave me like a booklet um full of like what it meant what it was and I remember reading it and being like oh like actually if I had it it wouldn't have been that deep but I didn't um luckily but yeah I remember when they first just throw like medical terms at you I was like oh my because you're left to fill in the blanks yeah no I agree I remember the first time getting close to diagnosis was getting them to admit that I had an unusually heavy period and they were like oh yeah so you might have menorrhagia and then kind of left it at that that? either of you ever heard the word menorrhagia no it just means a heavy period I, I don't have a medical degree I have no idea what that means I do I do literature okay that was never gonna come up I'm not a STEM student I'm not close but yeah no so many things like that and like you said when they told you you didn't have it is when they gave you the information it's same as like with the infertility thing so many women have endometriosis or PCOS and they're fine and they have children and they're beautiful healthy children and there aren't any exactly I don't know why the information they give you is prefaced with you may not be able to have babies but da 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 because it's scary yeah. like it's a thought like a lot of us grow up being like oh like when I'm a mum, I'll do this or like oh I want to buy my kids this and then to be told like it's just not a possibility full stop yeah, is crap. is kind of scary obviously like it doesn't yeah 
No, it's true. So much of the information is just, it's missing. It's completely missing. The, as I say, I mean, it took me, one of the other symptoms of um, endometriosis is you tend to start your period very, very early. So I started when I was 10 and a half and I got diagnosed when I was 17. So that's seven years of me having painful periods, heavy periods, nausea, vomiting, all kinds of like everything going wrong regularly going to the GP and asking questions about it and it's only when I was 17 having gone through seven years of these GPs by sheer coincidence being able to have one 20 minute appointment with a private gynecologist and she was the only one who actually like explained it to me like after seven years of misinformation lack of information and a lot of physical pain to finally begin to understand it and even then I still wasn't told that I wasn't allowed to take methanamic acid with um ibuprofen for example there was another thing called tranexamic acid which makes your period less heavy also wasn't told about that wasn't told that I was meant to take the pill the same time every morning because it actually makes a difference to the symptoms and it can make it worse if you don't like there were just so many so many different issues all same with like when you have you can have a thing where you go into surgery and they kind of vacuum out essentially all of the blood that's in the wrong place wasn't told that if you have that done too many times you can have adhesions on your internal organs which can then cause later complications like there's so many things you are just not told and I don't understand why we've somehow I think and it's partly because the health system and especially the NHS is so overworked they don't even have time to tell you no yeah it's 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 systemic it's it stems from bigger issues So one last question for you, Camille, with all of the knowledge that you have now, what advice would you give to any young women, even older women or young girls who are trying to get diagnosed with endo? I think number one would be stick to your guns. You know your body better than anyone else does. And, you know, people might have studied it in a book, but it is your body. You know how you feel. You know when something feels wrong. So I think that would be point one. Number two kind of leads on the back of that. Unfortunately, we live in a society where if you are a 14 year old girl going to their doctor and be like, I know that something's wrong and that you're being told that you're wrong. It's very easy to feel like you have to back down out of respect. And you should. You should always have respect for medical professionals, especially NHS doctors. Right. Let me preface it with that. You know, obviously, NHS nurses are the backbone of the society. I'm not saying you should like get in a shouting match with them under any circumstances. But in my experience, sadly, you are sometimes going to be taken more seriously if you have like an older male family member with you. So if you have, obviously, depending on what your relationship is with your family, if you have your dad, an older brother, even just a male friend who can kind of just look very serious and somber and kind of have your back if you're being told things about your body that simply aren't true, it's always helped. I don't know why. If in appointments or anything that I've had my dad with me, they even sometimes speak directly to him <laughs> instead of me, um, even though it's my uterus. But sadly, if that is something that you can do, I would absolutely recommend it, even if it feels embarrassing, because it will just often just cut the whole conversation short by so much. You'll bypass so much of the like not believing you, them not taking you seriously, just simply by the presence of like an older authoritative man, which is not good. I hate that I'm giving that advice to people. It shouldn't be advice that I have to give. Like if you want like a very <laughs> down to earth, honest thing that might cut, help the process short, unfortunately. That is one that comes to mind. If I could just say one small thing as well, just again, slightly anecdotal. I remember listening to a podcast episode that my parents sent me when I was in hospital um, as a kind of like, it's not just you going through it, um, which was nice nice to hear from them. Again, being in COVID, I couldn't <laughs> see them. And again, I read an article more recently that, that was saying the same thing about women who had been in hospital and having surgeries or tests or whatever cancelled 
because the doctor would look at it and be like, no, it's probably not endometriosis and not having explained it at any stage of the way. So I remember when this woman was filming her podcast episode from hospital, from her bed in hospital, the doctor came in halfway through and was like, you're not going to have the, the laparoscopy tomorrow. They've decided against it. And then she left. Like there was no, there was no explanation. There was no reason why. There's so, so, so many stories about being diagnosed with endometriosis being terrible. So if there's anyone out there who thinks they have it, or they do have it, or they're being diagnosed, honestly, my heart goes out to you. 